Three things. Dealing with the deceiver. The deceiver being deceived. And a, and a decision. So first, dealing with the deceiver. It's not fun to be deceived. Actually, it's, it's quite brutal. It's humiliating right, to, to trust somebody and then they lie. There's always collateral damage with deception. Some of us, to be sure, even here this morning that maybe dealing still with some deception or lies from those that we trusted or loved and it's still heavy on our heart right now. Where there is deception, there's always trauma. The Bible talks about a deceiver, not just someone who deceives here and there or lies here and there, but someone that describes who was a liar from the beginning that when he lies, he lies from his own nature. It's who he is. And whether it's the deceiver, who it is by his, their nature as a deceiver, or it's just lies here and there, a deceiver, he, they twist things. They manipulate the truth. What appears to be good, or what is good, appears to be evil or what evil appears to be good. Of course, we're seeing that more and more in our culture and our world today. And of course, the deceiver's been doing this since the beginning, back in the garden in Genesis chapter three. We know that the serpent, the deceiver, who is by his nature, goes to Eve and says, surely you won't die if you eat of this. And yet that's the exact thing that God said will happen if you do this. You will die. And the deceiver says, surely you won't die. And so they rebelled against God. And because of our first parents rebelling against God, we've been dealing with the deceiver ever since. That is to say we've been dealing with trauma, the trauma of sin, the trauma of death, the two things that plague the human race since that fall in the garden. Which brings in the deceiver being deceived. Or at least that's how the early church fathers talked about it. That when Jesus goes to the cross, he's going to deceive the deceiver. So the one who created the universe out of nothing took on and hid himself under the flesh so as to draw and lure the enemy close while he's on the cross, enticing the enemy to come close. And up to this point, of course, the, the one who is the deceiver has been saying, you're kind of different than everybody else that I'm battling against. Like, you're different, like I see you. you, you do miracles, you've raised somebody from the dead. So you are different, but now, now you're on the cross, you're mine, you're gonna be just like everyone else. You're gonna receive the fate, the same fate that everyone else receives. Now you're mine. But of course, this is exactly what 
Christ did to lure him in, to deceive the deceiver so that when he did die on the cross, the deceiver, as St. Augustine says, holds up the trophy of Jesus' death on the cross thinking that he won, but the very trophy that he holds up high in the air brought about his own death and destruction. The deceiver was deceived. And of course brought about us being rescued, our salvation, so that we don't have to be deceived anymore. And all of this, of course, all of this requires a response, and that response being a decision. Because the tomb being empty either happened or it didn't. Him rising from the dead happened or it didn't, which requires a decision on our part to be in or out. A lot of times I think what keeps us from being in, fully in, is three objections. The first objection is like, that's great, Father Mark, I remember hearing all those things growing up, but it sounds a lot like a myth, a fairy tale, a, a children's story to me. I mean, maybe I, I, I believed that stuff growing up, but now as I get older, I'm a little more sophisticated here, I don't believe in that. Sure, it's got some nice things that we can draw from, but it's a myth, it's a fairy tale. The problem with that is that the New Testament is written and shows the historicity of the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. Take, for example, just our, new te- our first reading today. The Acts of the Apostle, we're in chapter 10. Peter is getting up with others. He's getting up and he's addressing those people who have not yet believed, and he's saying... We are witnesses. We, me, and along with these other people here, we are witnesses of all that he did in both of the country of Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree, and I saw it with my own eyes. I was there. He goes on. He's just, you hear him saying, listen to me. After he rose from the dead, I ate with him. I drank with him after he rose from the dead. Over and over and over again in New Testament is language of testimony and witness. Testimony that's corroborated. Testimony of which these men went to death, all 12 being persecuted, 11 of course being brought to death, not as if they're all believers in a cult where they all drank the Kool-Aid and they, dry, they died together, but these men being, di- being killed and tortured at separate places at different times. Peter, the one making this claim here, was ultimately crucified upside down. It evokes in us a decision. Am I in or am I out? Certainly another objection might be a little more subtle that keeps me from making a decision. It's more of, what, it's more of an apathetic view to all of this. Like if you, if you were to press me, if you're really to press me, I'd say I believe but I've never really made a decision to orientate my life around this. So I just have this more of this apathetic view about it. If there's anything we shouldn't and cannot have an apathetic view about, it's the fact that someone rose from the dead and died for me.
If the tomb is empty, it changes everything. It ought to change everything in my life. It's that I can begin anew. I can start over at any time. In our second reading, Paul is writing to the Colossians in chapter 3, and he's saying, brothers and sisters, if, then you were raised with Christ. So he's speaking to those that have been baptized. The majority of us in this church this morning have been baptized as either infants or later on. So he's speaking to us. If then you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think what is above, not what is on earth. That is, orientate your life, he is saying, to the reality that he rose from the dead and not have an apathetic view about it. Are you doing this? Am I doing this? If not, surely the Lord is inviting us to make a course direction change in our life today before we leave this church. And with that, the third objection is some of us here this morning maybe, I don't think I have it in me to make a course of direction change. Like maybe... Like I feel a little bit like I could make a pivot and make a course of direction in my change or in my life today. But I don't know if I don't know if God would want someone like me back. The mistakes that I've made, the habits that maybe I currently have and struggle with. Surely I I don't think he'd want someone like me back. But it, and if that's us this morning, hear this. It's the whole point of why he came to deceive the deceiver is for sinners. That is to say for you and for me. That's why he came. It's, easily to, it's easy to be deceived. It happens easy and we fall. All of us. But he's there to welcome us back home anytime we just make a small pivot and say, I want to make a course direction change. I know I need to, to orientate our life around the reality that the tomb is empty. The deceiver continues to deceive people. It seems all the more, more and more in our culture and in our society, where we're listening to the deceiver And as a result, we're going deeper and deeper into deception, which shouldn't be the case. Because the the deceiver was deceived, he lost all his power. He's been stripped of his power because of what happened on the cross, of why we gather here today. So many people out there in here need to hear that message. I need to hear it. The tomb is empty. The deceiver has been deceived. Which leaves us time to make a decision. A decision then that would orientate our life around the fact that Jesus Christ is risen.